0: Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly and voila. You get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky.
1: Hello and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I am your host, David Turetsky. Like every week, this week, we're going to have an exciting guest, and my guest is Dino Zincarini, who's been a very good friend of mine for many years. Dino, welcome. Thanks, David. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Some very interesting facts about Dino Zincarini. He got his start at the University of Waterloo in economics and, what, computer science? So you're a geek like me, Dino. (laughs) That's why we get along. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And, And so one of the things that I was remarkable about your background over the last 20 years, you've really done a lot to kind of differentiate yourself by being able to use that economics background and the computer science background to leverage for your clients and for how you've done your consulting.
2: Yeah, it was really serendipitous. I wish I could say that I engineered it from the beginning, but I just studied what I liked. But coming out into the working world in the 90s, It was a time when companies were acknowledging that they had massive troves of data, which could be an asset, and wondering how they can put it to work and how to extract that value. And that was the data warehousing boom that started and the business intelligence boom. And I got in on that. And that's where I built my career from.
1: Oh, that's cool. Well, one of the fun facts that I know about you that probably not a lot of other people do, you collect airplane barf bags, of course, pristine Airplane barf bags, not the used ones.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I try to avoid the used ones, um, and they should ideally have some nice coloring and design. But yes, you're right. Uh, I do, I do collect them. I've even framed my favorite ones.
1: Yes, and do they are they prominently on walls in your house? Of course. Ah, well, Usually in a be secret fun room around. where others can't see them. But nevertheless, <laughs> I'm quite proud of the collection. That's awesome. Today we're going to be speaking about the roadblocks that HR has, or have been put in the way of HR, actually utilizing data.
2: Yeah, I think HR has been going down the same path as many other groups in the organization of unlocking the data, the value in the data that they've been collecting, but HR, I think has faced some unique challenges in that journey to adopting data and integrating in it in their lives. And I think we need to be cognizant of that. If we just try to follow the same path that, say, finance followed in adopting data, we're going to struggle. We're going to hit some rough waters. And I think that's what we should be helping to raise awareness about so that HR has a smoother path
1: to adoption. Great. So first question for you, Dino. Tell me about why you actually got into the space to begin with.
2: Well, again, as I sort of alluded to, I think I fell into it. But what kind of ignited my interest in it was noticing this gulf between what was out there in terms of the data and how people used it every day. Just providing the technology, just giving somebody a dashboard isn't enough. That doesn't mean they use it. There's a persistent adoption problem with analytics across the organization, but I think especially in the HR world, where just because you build it, that doesn't necessarily mean that they will come. And understanding why that is, is a really interesting problem. And then, of course, solving it is an exciting opportunity. So that's where I started to gravitate towards, realizing that there was this gulf between the technology and what it can do and the business and what it expects. And how can I bring these two together?
1: I actually think we've both seen instances where companies have put together hr dashboards without actually talking to the business users or investigating what might be useful statistics or metrics for them to follow and have invested tons of money in it only to realize that this became yet another place that hr was forcing people to go to for no apparent business gain and then the business users would just turn it off totally or ignore the emails that got sent about it and it would become not like in Field of Dreams where they actually did come to the field. (laughs) It would become more of a kind of a, a lost effort. And, you know, then you might blame the effort itself, but the effort itself was actually laudable to get people to look at HR data in the context of the business. They just haven't made those linkages.
2: Exactly. Just because you can measure it, that doesn't mean that the business community necessarily knows what to do with it or how to interpret it and apply it. That is a challenge. It's also an opportunity for those of us working in HR. To really take up that mantle of being internal consultants to help the business understand and apply this information the same way finance does. They pioneered this with the creation of the finance organization and the financial analyst role, which is really an outreach role, right? Where finance embeds people in the line of business to help them understand what the overall corporate financial strategy is, but also how to use the information at their fingertips to help achieve that strategy. HR has the same opportunity to do this with people data.
1: And so let's kind of expand on a little bit and ask the question of why do you think companies still haven't solved the problem, and you know what are they going to need to do in order to be able to improve decisions that managers make?
2: <laughs> That's a pretty broad one, but let me pick some of the the That's- most compelling answers to that question. I think the first one I would say is understanding yeah. that when we're talking about people data, we're talking about a, a different type of data than I think most. People are used to using. People data is obviously about people. Most of the data that we use, that we've been trained to use when we see numbers, is about counting very definite things like money, right? When I say I have $10, that's a very unambiguous statement. I have 10 $1 bills, right? It's a very clear thing. <laughs> right, uh, it's right. a binary state. I either have a dollar or I don't. But when we talk about people, we're really talking about those HR systems that track all of the different things that people do. Well, people are ambiguous. They don't fit into nice, clear states. They do things we don't expect. We may create processes, but pretty soon they're gonna go beyond them. I think anyone who works in HR understands that. And so the very fundamental data that we're working with is ambiguous. Just think of something really clear that you would think is unambiguous, like a headcount. right? How many people do we got at this company? Well. Mm-hmm. Depending on how you ask the question, you get a very different answer, right? You ask the facilities team what the headcount is. and They're going to count everyone who has a badge to get in the building or everyone who has a desk. Right. You ask the right. benefits coordinator, they're going to have a different answer because are you going to count your interns and your contingent labor and benefits? No. So both answers are correct. It's the context of the question that matters which one is right. And that's the challenge is you can have multiple answers to the question, multiple numbers that could all be right. You have to really know the question you're asking in order to understand which number is appropriate. And I think that's a unique challenge that we have when we work with people data. And most of the consumers of that data in the line of business, having been raised with financial data as understanding numbers are unequivocal, have a really hard time accepting that, well, both headcount numbers might be right. And we got to help them
1: with that. I can't tell you how many times I've been invited, quote unquote, to the CFO's office to explain my headcount number because in his or her mind, the headcount number was, quote unquote, wrong. (laughs) And and of course, because he's or she's getting their data directly from the general ledger, whereas my data, which is coming from the H.R.I.T., which actually, in in your, you know, getting back to definitions, where full-time equivalents didn't match the butts and seats that they were thinking about. And so, you know, it would be a very vastly different number in lots of different places. And trying to go through all of the assumptions that made my number right, whereas their number was right as well, and not trying to sound pompous, was very difficult.
2: Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of university and college courses that cover financial analysis and financial metrics. So people come out with a literacy on how to interpret financial data. We can't just assume that the same rules apply when we look at people data. It's a different set of stuff, but we haven't been equipped with the same conversation to understand what are those nuances? Where does this data come from and how should I interpret it? The good news is HR are the experts in this, right? Because all this data comes out of the HR systems that we use every day. And so, HR is the best organization in the company to understand how to interpret and apply this data and help everybody else figure out how to make sense of it.
0: Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by Turetsky Consulting and listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show.
1: So, Dino, let's get to the obvious question. Where would a company go to get started? Because you and I both know getting started is probably the hardest part of that journey.
2: Yeah. And the best thing I've seen out there in terms of customers and companies who have succeeded are the ones that started small. And I've worked at different vendors, and very often technology is presented as the solution. And it's definitely a big part of the solution. But Very rarely is it going to be the solution. You have to look at the problem in terms of change management and adoption as well as the technology. My advice would be if you want to get started on the journey, just get started with the tools you have. Uh, It's really hard to make a case for a big investment in technology if you haven't already had some success that proves the value. And The way you do that is to use what you got, even if it's just Excel. Go ahead and get started. Find a small, engaged group of people, a small team that is willing to work with you. Because the key thing with people analytics is it has to be an iterative process. You create something, you put it out there, expect to fail. Expect that group to say, no, this isn't what I want, or this doesn't make sense. I need this thing changed a little bit. If you just go to the business users and say, what do you want to see? They're probably going to say, I don't know. And why wouldn't they? This is a new thing for most people. They don't know. So the only way to do it is to start with something. Here is some stuff I've done. Here is based on the fact that I'm in HR and know how to what this data means. Here's how I would interpret it. Is this meaningful to you? And if they say no, that's a good thing. Ask them why. What would be helpful? By not starting from a blank page, it's much easier for them to comment and engage. And after a few iterations, you will get them something that they value. And then once they start using it, you're going to start to see where the technology you're currently use how it helps you or if it hinders you and now you have a business case for growing you can say here's the value i've got a team that has seen success as well as i clearly understand where the technology i'm currently using is putting up a roadblock and i need to get something different in order to overcome that roadblock that's the best way i've seen it happen and if you want to look up on um, various research, you can you can find people who've got these testimonies. I know Mark Berry is a friend of mine on LinkedIn. Uh, if you look him up, he's uh, written about his own journey on people analytics, and he's followed exactly this path. So one of many that you can uh, look up to understand the details.
1: I think one of the things you highlighted that I'd love to also talk about a little bit is the knowing what your solution can't do and then putting together the right feedback that you've gotten from the business community to support an effort to either be able to correct it or to be able to go out and get something else to be able to fulfill on that need. Because the need doesn't go away. In fact, that might be the real need that the business community needs. But the fact that you listened to the business user and that you've gotten the facts from the business user about what exactly it is that they need, that provides you with that ammunition and the potential budget to be able to go out and be able to solve that problem
2: exactly and you also have an evangelist in that business user that you've engaged in your process who goes around and talks about the value i mean you can talk about how great your dashboard is and your reports are all you want but what's really going to get the adoption is when a peer comes up to someone and says hey i got this thing and it's really awesome You should take a look at it. That's what generates the demand in an organization, right? It's like, wait a minute, I don't want to miss out. I want that thing too. And then it takes on a life
1: of its own. And going back to one of our earlier examples, when it becomes a business tool, not an HR tool, then adoption is possible for business users because it's not another HR tool that's being shoved down our throats. It's a real business tool that solves real business problems, and it gives us insight that we need to be able to do our jobs. And that's the key to having that evangelist be able to go and be your front person to be able to sell this internally.
2: Absolutely. And on that adoption note, uh, this is where HR really has an opportunity and a challenge. It's not enough to just build it and put it out there. Uh, Yes, your business evangelist will help you generate demand for it, essentially doing your marketing for you. But when it's time to adopt it, when it's time for somebody to use it, they're gonna need help interpreting it. Remember what I was saying before about the fundamental ambiguity about HR data. It's not necessarily intuitive for business users to look at this stuff and understand what it means and how they can use it. That is where having HR partner with the business to really help them understand and interpret and apply it is critical. If you haven't thought of that function, if you haven't thought of that capability, you're probably missing something and you may be at risk of not getting the adoption that you want. So make sure that um, you thought about that. And the good news is HR is full of experts on HR data and be excited to have their careers flex in this direction of being that advisor to the business, that internal consultant to help them use this new set of information.
1: So Dino, one of the things that has bothered me in the past when I've been talking to clients about the HR analytics is to stop them before we actually get into the analytics themselves, but to talk about the state of the quality of the data that they're using to potentially measure. What's your thought on the quality of HR data and how can we judge it and what can we do about it?
2: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting problem because of the fundamental ambiguity in the data that I believe is just built into it. If we just apply the same processes and standards and expectations of quality that we have of say financial data, we're never going to get there. You're always going to feel like the people data isn't good enough yet because of that ambiguity, right? Like I said, you can have dueling spreadsheets, two HR numbers, two headcount numbers that are showing up and are different, but are both right. That is not necessarily a data quality problem. It's a data interpretation problem. And so definitely we have to think of data quality. If you're bringing data in from those HR systems, especially if you're merging them from different systems that may have different granularity in the data, different ways of defining uh, a termination or a hire, you've got to think about that because otherwise you're going to see some really wonky numbers later. But part of the education that we have to give the business users is to understand and embrace some of that ambiguity. Is it super important to have your turnover number down to two or three decimal places, or is it more important to see the overall pattern and magnitude of change that happens month over month or year over year? And are there deviations from those patterns, those overall pattern changes are just as important or maybe even more valuable than point in time measurements. And so advocating with the business that need to see the overall trend and story that evolves out of these metrics is critical. And that'll help them understand and embrace the value of the data, even if the individual precision isn't necessarily what they would expect. Now, there's also the need to share this data potentially even outside of the company. And in that case, obviously, you need to think about precision, just like finance has to do with anything that they report on. So there's times when you have to invest in precision and get it into the metric. And there's other times when you can step back a bit and say, you know what, it's more important to look at the overall pattern. And it is to get this down to a level of precision that might take me six months and cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. It's obviously I'm answering both ways here. You're going to have to choose what's right. This is where you may right. need some help. But the point is, don't use just a one size fits all definition or worst of all, use it from maybe what you're doing with finance to say this is what data quality means in HR. Understand that we're talking about a very different beast. This data is, by definition, ambiguous. And therefore, you may have to change your policies on data quality.
1: Sounds good. So, Dino, we've talked about a lot. How would you summarize the things that we've talked about today?
2: Sure. I mean, I think the first thing to remember is this data that we have, this people data, is valuable. And even if the business doesn't necessarily know that right away, uh, it's our responsibility in HR to show them the value of this data. And then secondly, it's understanding that this data is different. People data is ambiguous. And we need to help the organization. We need to coach the organization in how to understand, interpret, and apply this data. Don't assume that they're going to just see it and understand what to do with it. And then third, start small. There's no need to go with a big bang, fancy thing all at once. Use the tools that you've got because your real obstacles to adoption are going to be the soft adoption issues around making sure people know what this stuff is and how to use it. Don't under invest in that and over invest in technology too soon. Once you've got everybody, well, not everybody, but your initial group using it, then you can worry about getting a big, fancy technology to help you out.
1: Excellent. Dino, thank you so much. This has been awesome. We really appreciate your insights. Obviously, you have a lot of passion around HR technology, especially around data analytics. And we want to thank you very much for sharing with us today. And we hope maybe you can come back and do another show soon.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. This was fun. And if people want to keep the conversation going, uh, go ahead and do so on the notes
1: on this podcast. Yeah. And thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you soon. Please stay safe.
0: That was HR Data Labs. Please visit Consulting.com forward slash podcast to review the show, add comments about this episode, or add new ideas about upcoming shows you'd like to hear. Feel free to be creative but please be nice. Thank you for joining us this week on the HR Data Labs podcast, and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.